I'm going to be reading from Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Amen. Thank you. You guys can grab your seats. That is such a beautiful passage of Scripture, and it's hard to to read without kind of feeling a little self-conscious of like, how is it that I don't always feel that way? Like, I'll be satisfied with your presence as with right, rich food. And so, um, I think it's a task that we need to learn how to delight. We need to learn how to give up sort of the diet that we've developed a taste for, which is that which doesn't really fill us, but we continue to go back to when God himself is the very thing our soul longs for. And so the third component of Sabbath that we're going to be talking about is the idea that uh, desire is something that God wants to utilize because we are intended to take pleasure and delight in him. So how many of you guys can think of a moment when you had pure, unadulterated delight. Anybody think of a moment? Delight. No. Man, we're a sad bunch. I think for me, it was uh, this moment when we were in England, don't tell my other kids, it was when my daughter, first daughter was born, Hope, and I saw her. And something in me leapt. It was like, it was it was involuntary. Um, I I was anticipating loving her, but not like that. Like something visceral from in me reacted and like leant towards her. And in fact, that's the biblical definition of delight. It's there's a leaning toward, or a giving oneself to something, with the belief that there is value there. So what is it that stirs your heart? What is it that sparks your attention? Um, For me, if I hear a a GT500 Shelby Mustang, that makes my heart race a little bit. It does. And I go, dang, there's something happening in me that brings joy. Uh, When I hear Chopin's uh, Nocturne 20, it moves me. There is something in me that gets lost in the beauty and delight of it. Anybody else? Am I sparking any like memories or thoughts that you guys have? So Rachel's been in Kenya. Thank goodness they're on their way home. Hallelujah. Um, and they've had wonderful times. I know many of us have loved ones and uh, that are coming. They'll be home on Valentine's Day to Ching. Um, and so, uh, As she's been away, I've been putting my attention and extra time into doing a little surprise for her. So I'm not getting her roses for Valentine's Day, um, although she did ask for flowers. So I'm running a risk there, but it's okay. I think she'll understand. I'm renovating our family room, and so I did a ton of research. She gave me a picture. David, I want this Instagram picture to be our house. 
and I said, fat chance, um, but I can get close. And so I researched the paint colors, I did uh, lots of little DIY YouTube videos to figure out what the heck a, um, it's called wall um, picture frame molding. So it's like a molding that you build frames into the wall and then you paint it all. And, and so I've been doing all this stuff, lots of details. Um, the, the amount of time that I've stood and looked at a wall and, and redone things or said, oh, that's not good enough, I'm the only person that's ever going to look there, but I, it's important to me. And so um, as, we, as I got done, I even put like LED lighting behind the TV. I, ref I, I finally finished the molding that some of you guys have noticed at my house, but you not said anything, thank you. The molding <laughs> is not complete when we redid our floors. Um, I got appendicitis in the middle of our floors being completed, and so I, I gave up halfway through uh, the molding getting put back in place. So I finished that, okay? Um, on top of that, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, actually painted the wall, did all the good stuff, and so I'm hoping that a bow on the wall is going to be sufficient for, for Rachel. Um, hung the TV and, and even got little LED lights for the back of it to, like, cast a little shadow on the new little things. <laughs> And so, all that to say, when I finally came to Friday, so I start my Sabbath sundown Friday. I'm looking at Lily because our other daughter's out. It's just Lil and me. And I'm like, what time is sundown? She looks on her phone. Okay, 5.30. And it's like 5 o'clock. And I'm like, tools everywhere. And I'm like, okay, I want this place to be enjoyable for other people. And she's starting dinner, and it's great. And so I'm cleaning my all my tools, getting all the stuff. And then there was a moment where Lily and I, we turned down the lights and we fired up the LEDs and we sat there as it filtered through the different colors. <laughs> and we had this moment of like, oh, and even Lily, my 15 year old said, dad, you did that. And I'm like, I was not expecting that. Um, and part, I think she's placating me, but whatever, I'll take it. Um, but there was that moment of, ah. Oh, and that's what we need to incorporate into our understanding of Sabbath, is God rested, not because he was tired, but because he looked at creation and he said, it is good. And that word good is in Hebrew, tov, which can be translated beautiful, fitting, excellent. Like God had a reaction to his making. And when he put it out there, he allowed himself the moment of going, in fact, if we were to look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, I think we have it on the screen. The reference kind of uh, shows some things that are interesting, and there's a little bit of speculation I'm going to bring tonight. I want to be up front with that. Um, Genesis 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So if we're tracking up till day six, heavens and the earth are created and finished. What's interesting, uh, the author Dan Allender brought this up, is verse two. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. So what he says is, did creation get finished on the sixth day or the seventh day? And if creation was not done but the heavens and the earth were, what is there that's not heaven and earth that God could have introduced on the seventh day? And many Jewish scholars actually believe that God created what we now call delight. 
where he rested. He pulled back and he took joy in what he had created. Before this day, there was not delight in creation until God himself brought his joy to what he had made. It's similar. Uh, Dan Allender goes on to give this illustration of it's, it's kind of like a, a mother and a father who have an expected baby, and they've thought about their daughter many times in their mind. They've imagined what it's going to be like to hold her, to cuddle her, to comb her hair, all the good stuff. And then there's this moment where baby is no longer existing in the womb solely and in the imagination of mom and dad, but the baby is there and in their arms. And they have this beautiful connection moment where there's this moment of awe, this this connection that should, if it is within health and, and stability, create lifelong, unbreakable connection and bond. This is what God has towards creation. He delights in creation. He he adores to see how the, the darkness gave way to the light at his voice call. He delighted to see how the water separated and created a landmass where humans and animals could thrive and grow and learn to love him. God delights as we are brought to life through the Spirit of God and begin to be a part of his new creation. He delights to see creation. He says, it is good. It is beautiful. When when God starts to transform our hearts and we begin to give way to his spirit and little by little we release our, our enslavement and old patterns of brokenness and we start to walk in the way that he had designed us from the beginning, he delights in that. So every moment of of faithfulness, no matter how small, it brings a beautiful reaction and a leaning in from God towards you. Next week, we're actually going to be doing an interactive meditation. I'm going to be walking us through the biblical um, view of delight and what brings God's delight, what sparks joy in God in your life. And I'm going to walk us through your history of going, at what point did you do this? Because guess what? This passage tells us that that moment delighted the heart of God to his core. And then to sit in the delight of God is transformative. It is transformative. There is nothing more essential to our spiritual formation than for us to replicate, enter into God's joy and live from his joy as opposed to trying to live to create his joy. We are in, in, in Jesus, in his new life that he's creating in us. He is allowing us a day per week to not merely stop and rest. It's not merely a clearing out and then boredom. It is a removal so that we may delight and awe in God. So, when we look at this passage, take what you will from Genesis 2, 1 through 3. What we know is that God delighted in creation. And in so doing, he, uh, on the seventh day, created a, uh, a creative norm that he invites us into. For just as God rested, we are invited to rest as he did and to enjoy it. So, if God um, delights in creation, um, 
He desires to share his joy with us. And I believe this is partly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 15. When, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about joy, about sorrow, about the reality of life, he says this profound phrase, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's a profound statement that Jesus speaks, and it's not merely Jesus speaking it. It is God's heart from the foundation of the earth, that we would live our lives in a delightful relationship with him. The problem is, is sorrow in life is inevitable, but joy is not. Jesus says, you will face trials, but what is it for us to engage in delight and joy? In our study of Sabbath, um, the, the element that we'll bring tonight is there are three components to joy. There is, it is firstly a feeling. It is circumstantial sometimes. Um, I know that some people have kind of parsed phrases wrongly, I believe, to say that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Well, kind of, but in Scripture they're pretty interchangeable. And so, yes, there is a, a deeper joy that is beyond circumstances. But to say that um, circumstantial happiness and joy is not the same is, is actually missing the mark a little bit. So sometimes, circumstantially, we have these moments where we just look around and go like, dang, wow, everything is as it should be in this moment. And for us to sit and, and enjoy and to be filled with that moment is joy. It's secondly a condition. So it's a condition that God forms within us. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so as is uh, love, so is joy that the Spirit of God is cultivating in us a people of joy. That the Spirit of God will bring a joy that actually serves as almost a buoy in your life to keep you at a level state when circumstances rise. It's the thing in life that is, is mind-boggling to the world that have no hope for us to walk through hard circumstances but still have this weird joy. It's otherworldly. It's, we, can't, we can't fake that. There's no amount of willpower that you can force yourself to have joy in the middle of trial. But what we do is we use our willpower to move ourselves into spaces where the Spirit of God can do what we cannot. So we, we cannot force ourselves to feel joy, but we can force ourselves to stop and to turn our attention towards that which is truly life-giving and joyful. We can't force ourselves to cultivate joy, but we can open our scriptures and search for things about God that bring us delight. So we use our willpower for the right purposes. And all this leads to the third point, which is uh, joy and delight as a discipline. It's something that we must cultivate in our life. There's a quote from John Mark Comer. Uh, Sabbath is a discipline of celebration, uh, a delivery mechanism. I love that for joy. It's like this tool that God gives us to shovel joy towards us is the Sabbath day. It's like, really? Yeah. 
All that to be said, uh, somebody made a joke like, oh yeah, the waffle is just a delivery mechanism for uh, like syrup, you know what I mean? Or salad for ranch dressing. And it's the same thing, like it's a delivery mechanism for us for actually to appreciate and consume joy. It's its purpose that the creator made. Uh, He goes on to say, Sabbath is not a dreary religious duty but a life-giving day of delight. It is a gift. This is why Jesus was so confrontational when uh, called out by the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, where he says that um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended to be a gift. Uh, I love Karl Barth. Some of you guys are familiar with his work. He says this um, statement about gratitude. He says, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. I think about the work that I put into the renovation of our living room, because I'm already on that subject, right? All I want is for Rachel to go, ah, and be delighted. Do you know what I mean? I don't want her to go, okay, I'm going to go clean the bathroom now. I'm like, please don't look at the bathroom. You've been out of town for a long time. Like, <laughs> Let's just sit in this moment, right? <laughs> uh, I don't want anything back. I just want to see her thrilled. I want to see that, that she is appreciating the effort and the intrinsic detail that I've given to be a gift to her, a message of love. And I think that's what God wants us to do with his creation. Ben, he loves it that you and and Laura go hiking. He he loves it that we get out and we see and appreciate the minute things that nobody else has looked at. If you were to stop and pick up a leaf and just stare at it, especially in the fall time, right? It's the most beautiful thing, but it is actually the death of that leaf. It's very sad, (laughs) but very beautiful. If you were to stare at that leaf and just focus on one square inch of creation and dig in, we would be astounded if we were to take a microscope or even a magnifying glass or whatever and just look and then look. It's profound. And God loves it when we see his handiwork. He loves it when we discover and are thrilled by his work. Um, It is something that we need to cultivate, this idea of delight and joy. Psychologists say that, uh, actually it's neuroscience, that we are drawn towards negativity more than positivity as humans. It's something like a 14 to 1 ratio of how much we'll pick up the positive versus the negative. And, And I'm guessing that's the average person that doesn't give any account for my melancholy personality or your skepticism or whatever it may be, right? I know that I need to cultivate joy. And that was something that God just put on my heart in the last couple of years. Like, I want to be a person of joy. Yes, I feel deeply, but I want to be tuned into the good that God is doing. I mean, it's so difficult to be uh, in the world because we are 24-7 can be attached to a live feed of terrible news. Whether it's an earthquake in hunger or Turkey, or it's whatever it may be. I mean, you go down any trail, you're going to find wreckage and brokenness, and it's too much for our for our nerves, right? 
And so there is something to say, to say we need to cultivate, we need to restrict how much negativity we're receiving and to cultivate that which is good. Uh, it's described like this through the, um, the training we're doing uh, to cultivate or discipline ourselves towards joy is to let your mind focus on all that is very good in the earth, to curate a view of the world with special attention to the good, the beautiful, and the true. I think that's true. So we are to enjoy our life in the world. There are things that, even as I'm listening to the Sermon on the Mount, I've been trying to listen to the Sermon on the Mount almost every day for the last couple of years, uh, and just let the words of Jesus wash over me. Today I was listening to it, and when he talks about um, that we are to love our enemies and we are to be like our Father who is perfect, for He sends the Son on the good and the evil and rain on the good and the evil. I just allowed my imagination to go like, God, what does it feel like when you allow your Son to touch my skin and to know that that is your goodness towards me? And what is it like when I walk outside in bare feet and my lawn is too long, but it's so soft because of the green that the water brings, God, that is your pleasure that I enjoy that. So there's so many different ways that we can enjoy uh, the world that God has created for us, but ultimately God doesn't want us to just become um, hedonistic where we appreciate the good feelings that we can get, nor does he want us to just engage with the world for the sake of our entertainment. We are after delight, not entertainment. We're after delight, not hedonism. And so there is this orientation that all of the signposts that creation declares the glory of God, it is a signpost, not in fact the thing in itself. And so for us to discipline ourselves and not merely go, man, that beer tasted nice, or man, that was a nice croissant, or man, that's a beautiful sunset, but to go, man, that's a beautiful God that made that for me. He didn't have to make delight. He didn't have to make color. He didn't have to make us have the ability to feel the embrace of a loved one, yet he did. For some reason, he's given us the ability to taste, see, hear, and interact. And it's all intended to draw us towards him, towards God, the maker of all good things. And so for us, we are invited to delight in him. And I don't know what that's like for many of you. I know that many of you have stories or histories or perceptions of God. I know that there must be a destructive um, work. There must be a deconstruction for some of you who have an idea of God that to think that he wants to spend time with you. And you're like, that sounds terrible. You want me to like intentionally draw near to a God that uh, I associate with guilt, shame, anger and disappointment, that's the God you want? Well, I love how one person said that Sabbath is actually a way for us to reframe the way we view God and to recast him into the person that he truly is, which is he is the most joyful being in all of creation. And you're invited once a week to actually um, make new memories with who God truly is. And some of us, we need to just sit there and go like, God, will you help me to feel your delight? 
And I think that, that'll be part of our work next week is going like, God, help me to experientially know that you're pleased with me. Help me to know what it's like for you to be happy with me. Um, I think it was uh, Thomas Aquinas. Uh, I shared a quote a couple weeks back, and it was something to the nature of, and I, I, I couldn't find it, but it was something to the nature of this, is that humanity was, we humans cannot survive um, apart from satisfaction. So in the lack of, of people being satisfied spiritually. Humans are all but given to becoming addicted to the quasi-satisfaction of the world. Does that make sense? So there's this interesting component to delight that it's not merely just a feel-good, fuzzy factor, but it's actually if you are truly finding delight in God we are going to be less susceptible to Satan's primary lie that says sin will satisfy you. If you're walking around with a full stomach and you're grocery shopping, you're buying different things. Am I right? And so what would it be like for us to live out of fullness, out of the satisfaction of going like, man, I know the real deal. Honestly, that's, that's been a huge component of my discipleship and growth in the last like year and a half. It's just like, I want to be satisfied with Jesus. And the things that used to captivate me used to uh, kind of offer that quasi-satisfaction. I'm just like, I don't need that. It's nice, sure, but it's not essential. Jesus is essential. And so I, I think that's what, what uh, God invites us into. Um, so, uh, I love how, um, us getting a pure understanding of who God is, is, is a big part of, of us desiring who he is. I was thinking about Exodus 33 and 34, where Moses says, God, show me your glory, show me your glory. And God says, Hey, bro, you don't want to see my glory. I'm sure you do, but you're going to die if you do. And so what I'm going to do is I'll throw you on a rock and I'll put my hand over you and then I'm going to pass by you and you're going to be able to see my back. And the word for back is not really back. It's like entrails or it's like when you have an old school LCD, LCD TV and it like has shadowing that you know, it doesn't refresh fast. And you're like, oh, look, you can see. Uh, that's more of what it is. It's, it's like the mist or the residue of God's goodness. But the powerful thing that God does when he moves past Moses is he declares his nature, which is a beautiful depiction of who God is. If we just meditated on those phrases that God gives us or gave to Moses and to us, we would walk away like Moses walked away with this glowing experience of being full and overwhelmed with joy. Heaven will not be dreary. God is unsearchable in the depth of his goodness and glory. Year by year, month by month, century by century, we will have more and more depth and revelation of who God is, and we will be blown away at how great and powerful and lovely he truly is. Jesus gives us this image of what God looked like on earth. I did an exercise this morning of uh, allowing the story of Matthew. In his gospel, 
And I just imagined, and I closed my eyes, and I imagined Jesus walking through all of these circumstances, interacting with lepers, with centurions, with ladies, with dead little girls, with sisters who are mourning. And the way that Jesus interacted and was so gracious to them, I had to force myself into going, okay, that is how God fundamentally reacts towards me and to allow the character and nature of God to astound me for me to just go like okay if I was that leper and I was outcast and set aside how would I be feeling about approaching God and to know that God's reaction would be just like that to me it somehow began to spark that joy within me. It made me want to lean in towards that God, not away from that God. Oh, that that Jesus would fill our mind, that our minds would be set on things that are above rather than things below more often. That we would familiarize ourselves with the true nature of God and not what we wish he was or what the world wants him to be or the caricatures that have been created. If we just took time to gaze at the glory of Jesus, because the glory of God is confounded in the face of Jesus Christ. God says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast, unquitting love and faithfulness. I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but I will not ignore the guilty. I will not exonerate those who are in opposition to me. We get this beautiful thing, and through Jesus, we're invited into this intimate relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. For all of eternity, they have delighted in each other. And we practice that on Sabbath, of being caught up in this beautiful, satisfied, no hesitation love and appreciation with the others. Yes, Sabbath is a day for us to try to cultivate delight with God, but it's going to take a few things, okay? We ready for some application? Okay. First, we need to slow down. We need to slow down. I imagine some, some, I I imagine myself at different moments coming to this and hearing this me like, good luck, man. Who's got time for that? We got to slow down. The lives we're living are, are not sustainable. They they do not lend themselves towards discipleship nor the life of Jesus for us to be moving the way we typically do. Sabbath, Abraham Joshua Heschel says this, Sabbath is a recollecting of our tattered lives. Oh, that we would stop once a week and just collect ourselves. I go, man, that week was tough but how do I embrace wholeness with God? So I think oftentimes, this is the other thing that's really interesting, uh, is um, 
I can't remember who said it, but somebody brought the idea that before we can truly delight, we need to be rested enough to do so. That many of us are too tired to delight. Why? Because delight is a verb. It's an action. Delight requires something of you. Sitting and consuming like Netflix requires nothing. Just entropy. Just apathy, sitting, and being affected. You are being formed by it. You're not doing anything. But to delight requires something of us. And so there is somewhat of a a wisdom to the practice of, hey, stop for a minute. Rest. Then delight. Oftentimes, if we skip the, the step of stopping or resting and we just jump to delight, we will end up in hedonism. We will end up in self-pleasure. We will end up in all of the ways that we just feed our flesh. And that's how our Sabbath can go sideways. And that's one of the things I have to really work at and go like, okay, did that actually build towards life or did that make me leave me feeling more calloused and more dead? All right. So number two um, is we need to make boundaries for our Sabbath. And this was really intriguing. Um, Marva Dawn says this, we don't know how to feast because we don't know how to fast. We are so like, and this is, I, I felt so called out, but we listen to our desires all the time. Like we live in affluence and so oftentimes If you have a hankering for something, most of the time you can find a way to get it. And we don't know how to withhold pleasure so that pleasure will actually build and it will actually become a celebration. Nothing is special anymore because we have everything we want. Isn't that the truth? And so I have had to learn to self-limit and go, okay, for for my week, I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z. And it's going to build this anticipation to make the day of Sabbath special for me. Um, one of those things, I don't drink a whole lot of soda. Oh, there's a bag. So this week, <clears throat> me, me and Lily, <clears throat> we, we celebrated together. She made dinner. It was awesome. Um, the thing I had to run back to the store was uh, shrimp because she was making shrimp pasta. Amazing. Um, and so I had to run before the sun went down. We made it in time. It was awesome. Um, what we need to do is, is beforehand, I called the kids and I said, hey, is there anything special you want for Sabbath? I'll buy it for you. Because it's always like, Daddy, can I have X? And I'm like, don't look at me like that. Oh, geez, okay, I'll go to the store. But now I got a trick. Yeah, I'll get it for you for Sabbath, okay? So there's a trick for you parents. Um, but I went, hey, tell me what you want. Lily said, I want raspberries, I want shrimp, and I want this granola stuff. I don't know. Um, and so there was me, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to get my Pepsi and my salties, um, my roasted uh, pistachios, and, dude, these dirty birds, oh my gosh, oh, so good. And so, like, I let myself enjoy these things, and so that's what we need to do. You don't say yes all the time to yourself during the week so that the Sabbath can actually be special. Um, The question we need to ask ourselves is this. Um, what can we do for a 24-hour period of time that would bring deep, visceral joy in God? Many of us don't know what to do with our time to deeply be satisfied and delight in God. 
And so we get to experiment. We get to experiment like Lily and I did. We had, uh, like I said, sun went down. She made dinner. We lit the candle. We wrote down our little things that stress us out, put them in our box. We looked over at the wall. Color changed again. <laughs> we take a bite of the pasta and we discuss about the garlic and we discuss about the little shrimp. And we, you don't, you do not eat on the Sabbath. You taste. You savor. You enjoy. And after dinner, I said, hey, we had just finished watching the first Avatar. I said, hey, you want to watch the second Avatar? So we pulled up Disney Plus. Dang it, it's not free. Crap. Oh, man. All right. Uh, okay, well, I'm preaching this week, so I better have a good illustration. Okay, uh, Lily, do you want to go to the movie theater? Oh, 40 bucks. Okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> movie theater, 3D Avatar. We did not watch the movie. We marveled at the beauty of that beautiful design, right? And then we rush home. Well, not rush. We don't rush on Sabbath. We did rush for the last hour to enjoy and thank God for the day of rest that we were able to have. And it was so fun. There were some things that didn't go well. Don't do a family reunion on Sabbath. Got it. Next week, not happening. You know, and and so it's a trial and error. You know what you're going to find a light in. You're going to know, and you're going to have to put a pulse on, okay, was this something that left me feeling more delighted and more alive, or is that something that left me feeling dead and calloused? And so we get to experiment with some of these things. Um, Different ideas are common, so we have a list of a few for you to think about. Oftentimes, people will take Sabbath to put on a feast. So you pick a bunch of beautiful food, you set the table, and you invite community over to enjoy a Sabbath meal. Um, That's going to be part of our challenge this week if you're in one of the groups. Um, Practicing gratitude of looking around and going like, God, what am I thankful for? And just sitting with him and enjoying that. Um, for those of you who have spouses, this could be a day for you to enjoy each other through lovemaking. Yes, I said lovemaking. Um, it was in the notes, so I have to say it. Um, but really, like anything that actually draws that joy from your soul. And it's hard to find delight, to be honest. There's a moment where I'll shift in my... Um, Sabbath time where I've rested enough and I'll find myself delighting in something. And I'll be like, oh, that's good. And so give yourself grace. Trial, error. Maybe make a list. Here's what's going to be useful. Here's what's not going to be useful. What I will do. What I won't do. All of that. I'm going to end with this quote. Is that okay? My clock says two minutes, Mark. Is that is that correct? I've been preaching for two minutes. Okay. We ready for the final quote? from Dan Allender. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God truly intended it, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the day that we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time when we feast, play, have sex, dance, play, laugh, tell stories. It said play twice. Read, paint, walk, watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and set it apart or sanctify it. 
to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. What an opportunity we have. What if we normalized having the most beautiful day once a week? Can we do that? <laughs> let's, let's do it, because I, I, I need that. I need a day of guilt-free knowing that I get to delight in God, in his creation, and that brings delight to him. Amen? Okay. All right. Um, we're going to take some time, uh, do communion. We're going to have three songs. Um, but I, I'm going to encourage you to just, if you're struggling with delight in God, the amazing thing about God is that he hasn't left us as orphans. God, through the Spirit, is actually able to navigate our internals better than we can. You have all used your willpower to get your kids with clothes on, dress them, or yourself. I know that's a chore sometimes. You got in your car. Some of you drove five minutes. Some of you drove 35 minutes to come into this place. You've done it. You have leaned towards God. So I want you to know, like, it would be such a waste of your time if you came all this way and missed out on what you've actually created for, which is a place for the Spirit to bring joy and delight. So what if we just invite God to do that? And we go, God, will you allow me to experience your delight? tonight. I have done what I can, and I want you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're just going to simply do that. We'll take communion after whenever it makes sense for you. But Lord, right now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your steadfast love. Whether we experience it or not, it is better than life. And Lord, we're just asking for a flash, a glimpse, a taste, Lord, of your goodness, your glory, your beauty. And I believe you, Jesus, when you say that it is your good pleasure to give us your kingdom, a kingdom of peace, wholeness, hope, comfort. So God, with the curtain pulled back, we just say, please come. Come. Make these dry bones live. Spirit of the living God, we invite you to blow through this place. Thank you that you love and adore us. You extol over us with singing and dancing. Would we experience your joy over us? Holy Spirit, come. <laughs>